Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And joining me fresh from her daily meteorologist duties with NBC affiliate WESH-TV2 in Orlando, Florida, is my new pal, Amy Sweezy. Hey there. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I appreciate the invitation to be part of this really cool podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm very glad to have you, and I appreciate you making the time. I know you're a very busy woman. I've been up since two in the morning. Is that I might crazy. fall asleep on you, just to forewarn you. <laughs> so you've already been up for eight hours. It's yeah, ten, it's ten so, o'clock right now. Yes, it's ten o'clock in the morning now. So my the bulk of my day is actually over. I just have a couple more um, hours to go. And yeah, Monday through Friday, I wake up at two a.m. News starts at four thirty. There's a lot that has to happen before the news can happen mm-hmm. that people don't usually know about all the behind the scenes things, and then. Once we finally go on TV at 4.30, that's sort of the end part of my day as opposed to all the the pre-prep work that I have to do. Wow. So what time would you go to bed at night? Yeah, good question. (laughs) Um, My goal, I wish and I would love to say that I go to bed at 6 o'clock because I really need eight hours of sleep. Sure. But because I have three children who are all, you know, middle school and younger. Yeah. That doesn't happen. So there's just too much happening in my life. So usually about seven or eight o'clock. So I'll get maybe five or six hours of sleep. And then I try to make up for it on the weekends. Wow. Well, you know, watching you on TV, I would never guess that you're short on sleep at all. You do a great job. Well, thank you. TV yeah. TV makeup is a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke and mirrors, right, Amy? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, so Amy, you and I met recently, I had moderated an author's panel that you were on because not only are you a meteorologist, you're also an author. So you've got two books out, uh, let's talk weather and it never, ever snows in Florida. Yeah. So two kids books, which made sense because I've been a meteorologist you know, on TV for more than 20 years and I mm-hmm. have three kids of my own. And when I moved to Florida, I actually came here from Michigan where, um, you know, not too far away across the border there from you in Canada Mm -hmm. and it snows a lot there and I was cold all the time. And so when I finally moved to Florida and had children, my kids just didn't get it. They didn't grow up like we did up North and in the cold snow. Mm -hmm. So when we would read snow, snow books or winter books about the winter season, they never really quite understood about a blizzard or freezing rain or any of those (laughs) things. So that was sort of my inspiration to uh, write these books to relate to my kids and to other kids who are born in Florida who have different kinds of weather. Um, that's my first book. It never ever snows in Florida. And then my second one, let's talk weather. That's actually a nonfiction story. And it's really geared toward kids who just want to know more about how I do my job. Mm -hmm. So it talks a lot about the tools and the instruments and how we actually figure out if it's going to rain today, if it's going to snow today, what the temperature is going to be. So it's a lot of those behind the scenes things that happen that a lot of people don't know we have to do before we go on TV. Mm -hmm. And you know, not an easy job. I know. There's a lot of it's pressure not. on a meteorologist. Yeah, I think a lot of people think it is and they think that we just guess. Or I think the other misconception is that people think that we just get the forecast from somebody else. Mm. And while I think that is true in some instances, um, at some levels, mostly, um, especially in the U.S., and I know a lot of your um, uh, Canadian TV forecasters as well, you know, we've all been trained and we've been to school, we've studied meteorology, and so the actual work that we do most of us are on our own. We have no help. So we're here figuring out what the weather is going to be before we go on TV to talk about it. Tough role. Very tough role. 
I empathize. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's fun when I'm right. Those very few times that I happen to get it wrong, those those are not always the fun days. <laughs> mm. So, Amy, during our chat down in or in Melbourne, actually in Florida, you know, we got to talking about the music that we listened to as kids, and we we determined that we both listened very intently to '80s hair bands, and that you're very mm-hmm. much a music fan. Yes, because I grew up in the '80s, so. That was my music. That's when I came of age. That's when I was in high school. I graduated high school in 1989. So that was the height of the hair bands. And I was so sad when grunge took over and the 90s happened and all of my hair bands went away. So I just continued, like I think most people, to just continue to live in high school with my musical taste. And (laughs) even to this day, the 80s hair bands are still my favorite. Yeah, no, I know. That's nostalgia, right? It's a very powerful concept, definitely. And I I still do the same thing. I've still got all my old cassettes. I don't listen to them, mind you, but, you know, on Spotify, I still play all those old bands, certainly. Yeah, so fun. And I loved, you know, I think we, we tell our age, too, people can tell, you know, what era you're from when you talk about a record or an album versus a CD versus an iTunes download or whatever. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it took me a little while to kind of get into Spotify, you know, because I was very much one of those people who wanted to own music, which is, mm-hmm. is kind of bizarre because that's all I, I'd ever known. You know, I, I bought CDs and it was, and, and you can identify with this too. And we may have even talked about this, the fact that, you know, you go to the record store and buy that album and kind of part of it was, was looking through the liner notes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And the, when they would have the photos and they would have like little extra cat like a almost like a magazine you know yeah. that would have photos in it inside the inside the case it was yeah very yeah. exciting yeah i kind of feel sorry for kids you know that that experience is not a bit well i guess it is i mean if you kind of dig down but like it's not readily available anymore right now they just have to google it <laughs> find their favorite band on snapchat or whatever that's true that's maybe that's the trade-off it's easier to to, add, to access your music actually yeah yeah <laughs> So segue into your list of songs then, speaking of 80s hair bands. So the, the, the first song that you've got on this list is by Def Leppard, and it's Pour Some Sugar On Me. Yes, love this song. Even to this day, I have a favorite 80s cover band here in the Orlando area. Mm-hmm. And every time they play, when this song comes on, it's just one of those songs where you just, I can't sit still. It just brings back all those memories and um Hysteria especially was uh, the big one that was out when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And I'll always remember I had a summer job at the Frosty Boy, which was an ice cream shop Uh uh, in a very small town in Michigan, like a suburb of Detroit, if you will, where I grew up. And my friends and I would, of course, when the owner was gone and we were left in charge, you know, (laughs) uh, we would crank the music, especially the Hysteria album and, um, you know, clean the floors and get the ice cream machines cleaned up for the next shift and everything that we had to do. Um, and it just brings back all those fun memories of high school. Every time, um, I hear that song, even to this day. Yeah. That was a fantastic record too. I don't know if you're a pyromania fan, but same for me. Yes. And you know, I, I heard your podcast with, um, Phil Collin. Oh yeah. Loved it. And, um, I believe it was, his podcast or it might've been when you were talking with the guy from twisted sister, but, um, talking about how like the first couple of albums from Def Leppard 
were different. Mm -hmm. And then in pyromania, they kind of found their sound. Yeah, it must have been with Phil Collin and with Hysteria. And I always thought that was just me. Like, I thought the first couple albums, it was just because it was too early and I was too young. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't really get it. And I started to love it later because I was older and could appreciate music more. And then after I heard him talk, I thought, you know, that's probably it. It's because I like their sound and they didn't really... They were in the process of finding their sound at the same time I was in the process of finding their music. Yeah, certainly. Their, their first two records, High and Dry and On Through the Night, were they were almost uh, ACDC-ish, you know, very comparable to ACDC. And then the, when Pyromania, I th- you know, they, they, they changed the production values um, and they really, you know, they, they started adding more harmonies and, and guitar harmonies, stuff like that, really kind of added a, a richness to their sound. Yeah, and sort of became then, you know, whenever you heard a Def Leppard song, there was no, you know, you weren't going to mix them up with anybody else. Oh, no, they no. They sounded like them, and that was it. Yeah. And back then, they were a phenomenon. Like, I think from Hysteria, they had like six or seven, you know, top 10 hits. Yes. They had, yeah, the entire album. There's not. You know, there's there's a lot of albums where you like a lot of the songs, but na- maybe not all of them. Hysteria, every single one. Oh, yeah. I think even if you're not a, a big fan of the band like I am, but even just as a, a, a casual listener, maybe of the 80s, like you just know every single song on that album. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I saw them, you know, when they came to Orlando and it was my first time, despite how much I love them. I never was able to see them as a kid. I didn't go to a lot of concerts and, um, you know, through high school and college, I didn't have the money or the resources or, you know, couldn't get there. I lived in a small town, nowhere near like where the big places where that had the concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I finally saw them when they were on tour uh, with Poison and Tesla in 2016. They came to Orlando and it was amazing. Although they had to reschedule because they were somebody in the band was sick when mm-hmm. they were first supposed to perform. And we were actually in the car driving there and heard on the radio, sorry guys, the concert's been canceled. Oh, no. So they rescheduled a few months later and um, I got to see them, but Poison was not with them. Um, they were supposed to be with them. So it ended up being Tesla and um, Ario Speedwagon, oh. a broad, uh, broad music night. But it was a lot of fun. And um, I was just so thrilled to finally see them after all those years. Yeah. And, and that, you know, to this day, they're fantastic. I saw them a couple of years ago and they're, they're incredible. Phil Collin, my goodness. He's, He's in- like totally cut and he's like still up there with no shirt on on the stage like he was when he was a kid <laughs> <laughs> well he actually it's funny because he actually looks better because he's in like super great shape yes and uh i know it's unbelievable and he's i think he's like i think he's 60 now oh is he i figured yeah. he was probably in his 50s but yeah yeah looks great sounds great yeah and, and you know what amy he's he's the sweetest guy he is the nicest man I loved your podcast with him. I just felt like, yeah, I felt like we were like old friends when you guys were talking. Oh, thanks. That's great. No, <laughs> it, it, that, that's how he makes you feel. He's, I, I saw him backstage in Toronto. I dropped in on him and we had a great chat about guitars. He is uh, super hospitable and, and super, super sweet. He's a great guy. Awesome. Yeah. So next up, uh, speaking of ACDC, you've got You Shook Me All Night Long here. Yes. So honestly, ACDC was sort of on the fringe for me. Like they were a little bit, the best word I can come up with is harder mm-hmm. now than mm-hmm. the other hair bands. Um, I don't, I don't love all of their songs, but I really love this one. This is the one where just when the very first few notes start to play <laughs> of the very beginning from that guitar, yeah. like I immediately perk up and I'm like, oh, 
it's my song. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to jump up and dance. Like I can't, I can't help myself because it just, it, it also, again, brings back so many memories um, of high school and college and just the people that were around when we would listen to the music and um, just, you know, for me, it's not so much just the actual music as it is all the memories that are related to it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Almost like a soundtrack, right? Yes. Of my life. Exactly. Yeah. Same for me when I was growing up, you know, I have very distinct memories of this music playing in the background of, of most, you know, every party I went to sporting events, everything. ACDC was always there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty incredible. You know, how it can kind of, you know, almost graft itself onto you in that way. Right. And that, right. And for so many years, like, and I mean, I remember every single word, you know, to the lyrics and uh, my, my memory, you know how it is, the older you get, the more you, st- <laughs> the more you tend to forget and can't remember what you had for lunch yesterday. But the lyrics of those songs, they just really stick with you. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. So next you've got Nancy Sinatra. And these boots are made for walking. (laughs) Isn't that just silly? (laughs) When I was trying to think of the songs, and it's just such a silly song, but um, it actually takes me back this one to when I was a kid. And of course, I'm not quite old enough for this to have been a hit when I was younger, but it was a hit when my parents were younger. Mm -hmm. And um, my sister and I used to do these shows Um, where we would like perform for my parents' friends when they would come over for dinner. And my mom would always forewarn us, you know, no shows tonight. You guys just (laughs) stay in the basement and play and we're going to have dinner. And (laughs) so while we were in the basement playing, my sister and I would play music and we would dress up in these costumes and we would put on a show. Hmm. And, um, one of our favorites was my mom had these amazing boots that are like classic seventies, you know, with the big chunky heel and the big tall boots that zipped up the sides. And, I, I think they were like white leather or something. They were just awful, <laughs> but we loved them and we would put them on and we would turn on the Nancy Sinatra and we would, you know, pretend like we were her and we were walking in our boots. <laughs> awesome. It's so funny. So, silly things, you know, but just more memories of, it just reminds me of my sister. Oh yeah. You had told me that earlier and, and, and I thought back to when I was a kid and we had, uh, you know, I was probably eight or nine. We had like a, just a, a box of, of these dress up clothes, right? For yes. like whatever it was. And so in the basement and I would go and, uh, t- there, there were these huge platform shoes, you know, and I grew up in the eighties too. And, the, and, and this is probably like late seventies. And so I took these okay. shoes that were white. There were women's sh- like boots or clogs or whatever they were. They were massive. <laughs> and so I, I, you know, in my wisdom took a black marker. And covered the white with black because I no. wanted. Oh yeah, <laughs> turn them oh, into like no. like kiss platform boots, you know. Right. So, <laughs> and I, I have a picture of myself in these things in a black wig, and you know, it, you you do these things when you when you're a kid. It's, <laughs> it's so goofy, but it's funny at the same time. Did you do the makeup and the eyeliner and oh, stuff too? Yeah. God, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was like every Halloween for the next 16 years, you know? <laughs> oh, right. So, and that's the thing. You save that box of dress-up clothes. And then, like, even now, next weekend, I'm going to a charity event. Yeah. And we have to dress up like Mad Men, like the TV show Mad oh, Men cool. from the 60s. Yeah. And I called my sister, and I'm like, hey, what's in the dress-up clothes? I need a, a dress from the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps on giving. I, well, you know what's funny? I was thinking about this the other day. So, like, you know, you and I are 80s kids. And uh, I thought... 
you know, today there's so many 80s events, right? You know, there's the 80s dance and 80s themed weekend and 80s, 80s. Uh-huh. But like in the, the 80s. The oldies. Well, We're it, old. <laughs> I, well, I know. It's true, sadly. But so what in the 80s, what was there? I th- like for clothes, you mean? But music? no, the, just the like dances and stuff like that. It was, it was the 60s, I think, right? Oh, right. That was their oldies. Yeah. Yeah, so I I think I mean like I remember being in high school in the eighties, and then you know for for dances and themes like that, I think it was the sixties, and like you wore like a leather jacket and slicked your hair back and stuff, which is just so right. It's funny, like you're trying to be um, Danny and uh, Danny Zuko from <laughs> and, Greece and Kanaki. That's right. That was the, or the poodle skirts maybe in the fifties. We would do that too. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> But it's it's funny to think back, you know, about the 80s and now – like the 80s is everything to people, obviously, for our demographic. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's funny to think when we were in the 80s, you know, what what was that? It, it was the 60s. Exactly. And and that was the oldies radio station too that we would listen to. Like my parents would listen to the oldies radio station and it was all 50s and 60s. It was yes. Elvis and the Everly Brothers and and Nancy Sinatra. These boots are made for walking. It's it's true. <laughs> it's true. I remember that. I actually learned that song on guitar and played it at parties because people would kind of you know, have a laugh. But it's The uh, boots are made for walking? Yeah. Perfect. It's a classic tune. <laughs> and then bust out your black uh, leather kiss boots. <laughs> Okay, next, you've got the Rolling Stones and Paint It Black. Great tune. Yes, and again, another band where I love some stuff, not everything. I mean, they've spanned so many generations that, you know, you have to love them for different reasons all throughout your life. But the Paint It Black song, I think uh, my dad was in Vietnam, and he was in the Marine Corps, and he was there in the late 60s -hmm. um, when things were pretty tough there. Now, he got out and was home from Vietnam by the time I was born, and he didn't really tell a lot of stories like I think a lot of the guys who came back, you know, from there. But he did he did share some of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would talk about how there would be the, the radio stations playing over there. Um, like if you went into if you weren't out in the, you know, I don't well, I would call it the woods, but I know that's not what they called it. Mm-hmm. Um, if like, you would go into the city, there yeah. would be the radio stations that would play and they would have all this propaganda talking about how Americans were bad and they needed to go away. And um, every time I hear that song, it just it, it reminds me of that time um, and that era and reminds me of my dad. And um, I mean, I have a huge amount of pride. I know there's a lot of differing feelings about the Vietnam War mm-hmm. and America's presence in it. Um, but I have a lot of pride in the fact that my dad, you know, did what he felt like he needed to do at the time and um, served his country. And so it brings back a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also just kind of reminds me of that whole era and, um, you know, some of the mistakes, I guess, that we made as a country and hope that we can not do that again, not go down that road again. Mm-hmm. No, they, I, I like that you included that in this list because, you know, we talked earlier about the, the, the songs that truly make your skin vibrate. And that may ne- necessarily not be, you know, for happy reasons or sad reasons or, or whatever it is. But, you know, this is uh, clearly a very important song to you. So, Yeah, and it's actually been remade um, a couple of times over the years. And my daughter, who is 14, and she's actually a competitive dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, we went to one of her competitions and there was a group of dancers from another studio mm. that did a dance to this song. And it was, um, it was a remake. 
from the one in the seventies, but it was amazing how, when that first, you know, when it first started to play Mm -hmm. and I heard that sitting there, I was just looking around like, does anybody know? Like, you know, it was all a bunch of young kids and I'm like, do they know like what this song is about? And it it was just one of those sort of strange things that kind of made the hair on the back of my neck stand up when I heard it. The, The power for music to compel you and stir you in that way. Is, yeah. is really, really something. I had a great conversation with, um, I don't know if you know who Rick Emmett is from a band called Triumph, a Canadian okay. band recently. And, and we talked about the fact that, you know, a lot of people take music at face value. If, if you're not a, you know, almost a nerd about it, right. You kind of listen to the lyrics right. and kind of dig into the true meaning of the songs. And, and oftentimes, um, a lot of people, you know, don't really do that. And, and there's so much inside, you know, songs like paint it black to listen to the lyrics and consider the political climate at that time. Mm-hmm. And there's just, it's, there's so much more to a lot of these songs than people imagine. And you're obviously one of those kinds of people, um, you know, and your book is awesome. No sleep till Sudbury. Oh, thank you. But I think, um, you know, do you, when you meet other people like that, that don't get it like you do and that don't feel it all the way down to their soul, does it bother you? Or do you just think, oh, it's so sad that they don't get it like I do? Yeah, definitely the latter. I don't, you know, yeah. it, it, it doesn't bug me because, you know, music's not for everybody. I've had conversations, Amy, with people and, you know, I'll say, are you a music fan? You know, you'd be at a party or something like that. Are you a music fan? And they'll say, mm, no. You know, the uh-huh. first thing that comes to mind is like, how can you not be? <laughs> <laughs> Are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's not, you know, it's not everybody's cup of tea. So, Well, and I think, you know, it, it's different too for people who feel the music, it makes mm-hmm. their skin vibrate, you know like as a consumer, but then there's the people that are in it, like the people who have taken the piano lessons for 20 years and mm-hmm. who, who have taken the drum lessons and the guitar lessons and you know, I don't know if, um, I don't know. I don't know what road I'm going down with this. I guess maybe, I don't know if it's different or if it's, you know, that if once you understand the notes and how the lyrics go with the music and all of that, I wonder if that sort of speaks to you in a different way than somebody who just feels it on an emotional level. Yeah, I think so. I think because, you know, I I grew up in a small town and music was, you know, I've said this a million times, but music was like an absent friend and I really gravitated to it because I kind of needed it. You know, I didn't really have much else. I kept to myself uh-huh. a lot when I was a kid. So music was just almost, you know, formative for me. A lot of, of other people, you know, in, in different social situations, if they had, you know, sports or religion or whatever it was to gravitate to, that's, you know, yeah. that's what it was. But so, yeah, everybody's different. I have a friend who does music therapy. Oh. And um, they actually use music to reach children mm. who have various, you know, learning disabilities or mm-hmm. social, you know, w- whatever the case may be. But it's really fascinating how they use different kinds of music to heal. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, and there is a scientific basis associated with that, that music can cure depression based on you know, how your brain reacts to it on a, on a cellular level. Like you can see changes, you know, mm-hmm. based on how we receive music, which is incredible. Yeah. That's, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, I was talking the other day to uh, a buddy of mine and he said, I've seen Paul McCartney a million times and every mm-hmm. time they play, you know, Hey Jude, it's got healing properties. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
I could see that, right? Like this is, it, yeah. it, it's, you know, we're half joking about it, but at the same time, I mean, it's just, it's so powerful. Huh. There's definitely something to it. He said, uh, people throw their crutches on the ground and stand up in their wheelchairs. <laughs> like they're at church. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's, it's as close. It can be as close to a religious experience as, as you can get, really. That, well, yeah. And churches use music, you know, for that oh, yeah. reason, I, you know, to open up your emotions and yeah. yeah, make you open to what you're about to hear or feel or whatever. Oh, some of those churches, like, you know, did down in your area are, those are fantastic experiences. Like the Southern, uh, like Southern Baptist or something. Oh yeah. Revival. Like it's the big choirs and yeah. Yeah. It's intense. That's an experience. So next up, Amy, you have got a Canadian. Yay. <laughs> Tom Cochran. I, I may or so, may not have known he was Canadian before today. <laughs> so let's pretend that you did. <laughs> okay, go pretend. <laughs> so, thanks for the Canadian representation on your list. Uh, Tom Cochran, Life is a Highway. Yes, love this one. And again, another song that's been redone a million times. Mm -hmm. um, but love his version of it, of course. Um, so my very first broadcasting job, um, after I graduated from college, I could not find a job. Mm -hmm. It's tough to break into the TV business. Mm -hmm. There's very few uh, jobs available and there's a lot of people who want them. Mm -hmm. So I was interviewing and working part-time and doing internships and, you know, just doing everything I could do. Mm -hmm. And one of my many jobs before I could break into the TV business was in radio in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I was a traffic reporter. So I would tell people, you know, to stay off the Dan Ryan or there was an accident mm -hmm. on the Stevenson or whatever. Um, and I would do that on the radio in Chicago. And the introduction that the rock station uh, where I worked, the introduction to me doing the traffic report was them playing this song. Wow. And so it would always start off with life is a highway. And of course it was only a small little snippet mm -hmm. that I would get to hear and then I would have to start talking. So I was used to enjoy listening to the entire song so that I could hear the whole thing and not just that one little introduction part. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I had no idea that they played Tom Cochran down in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know what the station, they, they might've played the entire song, um, on that station. Cause this would have been in what the early nineties, uh, um, yeah, late eighties at a rock 90s, station. Yeah. 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 So, so they could have played the whole thing, but they definitely clipped that out and loved it. Loved it as my intro. Wow. <laughs> that is so cool. Tom Cochran's still out there actually. Yeah. It, is he still in Canada? Oh yeah. Yeah, he <laughs> is. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, it's tough for Canadians to break into the American market. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, I mean, Justin Bieber notwithstanding. But. Right. Well, that's <laughs> oh. a whole other thing with YouTube and all that. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. You know, he, he got his start from being a busker. Do you know that? Justin Bieber or Cochran? He, uh, I don't know about Cochran, but definitely oh. Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber. <laughs> yeah, he busked well, on the I street. Well, I did see his movie, so I do know about his background because I had a Oh, probably 10-year-old girl at the time that it came out. So mm. we did go see his movie, and I did see him in concert as well. Oh, did you? How was that? Mm -hmm. Did he live up to the hype? He did. This was um, this was kind of when he was still in his popular, you know, Never Say Never days, uh -huh. um, when his movie came out, and it was before he started getting all the tattoos and <laughs> kind of getting in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. And I kept just, you know, holding out that he was going to get his life together and come back and... <laughs> <laughs> do good things someday. So, 
<laughs> I think he did that. Did he not? Is he, he? I don't think he's a huge troublemaker anymore, is he? I don't think so. I think he's, uh, yeah. He's kind I of think that him. was just a stage. But I mean, can you imagine being a kid and oh. just going from, I mean, he was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. To just have all that fame and all that money and have all the adults around him were yes men. Yeah, I just can't imagine the pressure that must be for a kid. No. And that's why that child star roller coaster is so prevalent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I completely understand it. Patsy Klein is next, Amy, and crazy. <laughs> An- another funny one. So this is back to my oldies days, of course. Mm-hmm. So my parents would always listen to the oldies music when I was a kid. So I did grow up on a lot of old, especially old country. Uh, my grandparents and my dad were big into like the old country and Western. So mm-hmm. Conway Twitty, Loretta Lynn, uh, Crystal Gale, um, all the old school, Dolly Parton, of course, mm-hmm. you know, way back in the day. And we would watch Hee Haw. Did you have that show in Canada? <laughs> I watch that all the time. That's hilarious. <laughs> yes, we would every, you know, it wasn't reruns then. It was on fresh, you know, once a week. And yeah. we would watch Hee Haw with my dad and Minnie Pearl. And so Patsy Cline, I could have picked a lot of different old country songs for my favorites from that era and that genre because I do have so many. But I think that one especially, her voice and then after seeing – the movie and reading the books and knowing her history and her story um, and how she was, you know, killed at such a young age. Mm. Um, it all just brings back all those memories again of when I was a kid. My grandpa played the fiddle mm-hmm. in an old country and Western band. Wow. And so when we would have little family reunions or parties, we would go to my grandparents' house and my grandpa and all his friends would bust out the fiddles and the um, the banjos and they would play these country songs and just sit around and basically have what we would probably call a jam session now. (laughs) And it was just so much fun. And all the, you know, they weren't when they danced, you know, that was the days where they actually like square danced and they had like moves and motions. It wasn't just sort of like flailing around on the dance floor. (laughs) And it was so fun to watch all the aunts and uncles and grandparents out there dancing with their moves and uh, counting and keeping time. And it was just so every time I hear any of those songs, but especially crazy, um, not only because of the memories, but my goodness, Patsy Cline had such an amazing voice. Oh, yeah. And those notes that she could hit. And yeah, I just, I think, I think she was great. And it was, um, you know, taken far too soon before mm-hmm. her time. Yeah, no, agree. And, you know, Patsy Cline, this song in particular, just so warm. There's a warmth about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you uh, feel her passion. You really do. It's unique, you know, and this is, this stays with you. It certainly does. So last on your list, Amy, you've got a song called Majesty, and it's by Ron Kennelly, I believe his name is. Yeah, so this is kind of an odd choice, I realize. This is kind of like a hymn that's sung at churches. Mm-hmm. And um, so the story behind this song is that I had a friend in college who was a son of a minister, mm-hmm. and his dad was a pastor out in Colorado. I was in school in Chicago, so I met my friend Paul in Chicago and his dad, he, he was originally from Colorado mm-hmm. and, um, Paul was the life of the party, super fun, hilarious comedian, made everybody laugh. Um, we had a whole group of friends and whenever Paul was around, you know, everybody was always laughing. And one of the things he would do is sort of mimic this song and he would stand in the middle of a whole party of people or a whole crowd of people and just belt this song out at the top of his lungs. <laughs> 
um, you know, this whole big, like majestic song, like you're standing in this big old church with stained glass windows, you know? And so that song was always kind of, you know, related to him. It was kind of a funny thing. We would hear the song, like the big pipe organ that would play. (laughs) And it just all brings up those sort of church thoughts in your brain. And, um, Paul was a really special friend. And in college, um, sadly, he ended up committing suicide. Mm. And when it happened, obviously we were all very shocked and very hurt and very troubled. Mm -hmm. And we all, a whole group of us drove from Chicago out to Colorado for the funeral. Mm -hmm. And when we got there, um, they, the, 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 the church was packed out. There wasn't a seat available. Mm -hmm. So they took the whole group of the college students and they put us up in like where the choir would sit in the very front of the church. So we're sitting in the front of the church facing all of the people and all of the people at this funeral are looking back at us Mm -hmm. during this funeral. Mm -hmm. So it was this whole weird, awkward, like, oh my gosh, people are looking at me. Oh my gosh, my friend just died. And you're going through all this emotion and all of this, you know, just, just so much emotion. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of the funeral, they started playing this song because his parents chose this majesty song to play. And all of us like all look at each other and we were like, we didn't know what to do. Do we laugh? Do we cry? Mm -hmm. And we kind of started giggling like, oh my gosh, because we could see Paul who was just this hilarious, wonderful, huge person singing this song at the top of his lungs. And now they're singing it in this church at his funeral. And we're all like laughing and everyone's looking at us going, why are these kids laughing when they're at a funeral? Mm. And it just, every time I hear that song, it brings back this sort of weird mix of happy, sad, um, tragic, funny, friendship, um, you know, just every emotion that you can think of. It brings me back to that, um, to that moment sitting in that church and hearing that song with that big like pipe organ song uh sound mm-hmm. and it's just this big sort of choir sounding song and if you never heard it you can youtube it and find a bunch of different versions of it but um yeah so it's kind of a that's kind of a strange story to share i know um but it just it, it was such a a huge part of my life and my college experience yeah and you know, to this day, a lot of us who were friends then are still friends and we get together and remember Paul and remember that song. And if we hear that song, it still kind of puts a smile on all of our faces, just remembering the good times and the and the fun side of all of that story. Hey, Amy, I think that's an incredible story. And I thank you for sharing that. That's that's um, wow. Yeah. yeah I'm just thinking about it. But you know what? You know what I love about it is that, um, you know, everyone smiled. Right. And oftentimes, yes. you know, I thought I was, I was listening to you tell the story and I thought, oh my God, so incredibly sad, but mm-hmm. everyone made the best of it. And I'm sure your friend would have been extremely happy, right. To, to see everybody yeah. smiling. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. And we kept thinking, we always, we, we always told ourselves, okay, he's in heaven right now. Mm-hmm. And he's like singing this song and, you know, laughing and yeah. watching us laugh while the song is being played. So exactly. that was what we, uh, that was how we consoled ourselves with those good memories. And that's perfect. That's an incredible story. Thank you so much for this, Amy. This has been great. You, uh, You're welcome. you told some great stories and we had a couple laughs about our silly <laughs> childhoods and dressing up and 
Thank you. I mean, I was a little intimidated, I will say, because I know you love music and you know music and you've had such amazing musicians um, on your show and your um, your hockey night Canada guy who was on Ron your McClain, show. Ron McClain, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he had such great stories of all the people that he's met. So um, I just I love your podcast, love your book. I'm so glad we met on this author panel and I really appreciate that you had me on the show. Oh no. Thank you so much for doing it. I knew you were going to be great. I, Aww, I, I, thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm very glad we met too. Um, you have to make your way up here to Toronto at some point. We would love it so that we can hang out. The door is always open. You are always welcome. So thank you. I'm going to come though when it's warm and not when it's cold. How about <laughs> that's, that? That's a, that's a good call. You do not want to <laughs> I don't come think now. I can handle the cold and snow anymore after <laughs> living here for 16 years. <laughs> no, come on up next summer for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again. This was great. Thank you, Amy. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Amy Sweezy. Until next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. 